When the movie Finding Nemo came out, I was 14 years old. By this time of my life, it is safe to say I was obsessed with sea turtles. And Finding Nemo has sea turtles in, in it. It made me even more obsessed. They are such incredible creatures. The female sea turtles lay their eggs on the beach and then they go. They leave the babies to come out of their eggs and get into the sea and get really far away all by themselves. They have to make it through a huge, terrifying ocean. At the age of 19, I loved them so much that a sea turtle was my first tattoo. I know, some people don't agree with that, but it was. And the symbols inside it read determination of the heart and soul. Because that's what sea turtles mean to me. The turtles in Finding Nemo represent a perfect picture of what it looks like to chill and enjoy life. To see the important things and not stress about the little things. The storyline of Finding Nemo, if you haven't seen it, is about Marlin, a clownfish, and his son Nemo, who is also a clownfish. On Nemo's first day of school, he is captured by divers and taken away in a boat. Marlin watches this happen. He is terrified of the ocean. Yes, he lives in the ocean, but he's terrified of the ocean. He worries a lot and is afraid a lot. His overwhelming need to find and protect his son ultimately eclipses his fear, but it is a steady companion with him throughout the movie. Marlin eventually meets Dory along the way, and she adds the humor. The vo she's voiced by Ellen DeGeneres. And Dory has short-term memory loss. And she ends up as Marlin's companion as he tries to find his son, Nico, or Fabio, or whatever other name Dory calls him because she can't remember his name. There's a song Dory sings that ends up making the difference in the end between giving up and pressing on. Just keep swimming is a mantra she sings to Marlon when they're going into a scary situation. Personally, I have this mantra everywhere in my life. I have a bracelet that says it on the inside. I'm wearing a necklace that says just keep swimming. It inspires me. My friends and I used to sing it to each other when we got down, and it was encouraging. Eventually, Dory and Marlin find Nemo, rescue him, and then Dory and Marlin are almost caught in a fisherman's net and hauled into a boat. This is almost the end. They avoid being caught by telling all the fish in the net to swim down so that their weight pulls the net away from the boat. A little unrealistic, maybe. But they all chant, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And they get out. Dory, Nemo, and Marlin get to go home. At the beginning of our letter to the Philippians, we learn that Paul is writing this letter to Philippi from prison. Paul assures the Philippians that what has happened to him has actually helped him spread the gospel, and everyone, including the imperial guards, know he is imprisoned for Christ. This is for Paul a blessing, yet another way he is serving Christ and suffering for his sake. 
By the terms he uses, we know that Paul is familiar with the congregation in Philippi and feels he has a close relationship with them. He offers them encouragement and comes to a point where he speaks of the difference between having confidence in the flesh and having confidence in faith. Paul lists out the reasons why he, in particular, would be confident in terms of the flesh, such as what family he was born into, his ancestors, his old job, and his acts on behalf of that job. On paper, Paul has an incredible resume. Before his conversion, he was considered by Jewish law to be righteous and blameless. He lived the way he was taught to live and expected others to do the same. Verse 7 in our scripture, Paul makes it clear that as wonderful as those things about him are, and they still are, None of it matters when it comes to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus doesn't take away who Paul is, but knowing Jesus makes all that other stuff seem insignificant. Now he is aware that righteousness does not come from the law or our actions. It comes from our faith in Christ. The congregation in Philippi had sent a representative to see Paul in prison named Epaphroditus. He carried the news of the community and shared their struggles. Paul wanted to encourage them. He wanted to make sure that they weren't worried about him and that they were instead worrying about the way they were living. At this time, there were plenty of influencers trying to tell the Philippians what to believe especially those telling them circumcision was a requirement to be saved. Paul knew he had to get them a message. No matter what others are saying to them, the Philippians should rejoice. Rejoicing is the main theme of the letter that Paul writes to them. He wants to make sure they're giving thanks and living in an attitude of gratitude. He is rejoicing as well. Paul remains so positive in his letter, even when giving exhortations. I can imagine it might be tough to encourage others while you are in prison. But Paul does it. Leadership can be hard. Teresa of Avila knew this well. In a period of 20 years when she was in her mid-40s, she wrote five spiritual classics in her spare time while traveling to different Carmelite religious sites and providing the tools and encouragement to reform their long-established ways of life. She was opposed and fought more often than not. People do not like change. I don't know if you knew that. And on top of all this, Teresa was never good in health. When she was young, she got sick, and she fell into a coma, and she was paralyzed for several years. What kept her going, in spite of the opposition and roadblocks, was her prayer life. One of the ways she describes our prayer life is seeing our soul as an interior castle. In the very center of this castle, the Holy Trinity is there. As our relationship with God deepens, we move through a progressive journey from the outer rooms to the inner rooms to the center. 
the luminous center. When we have attained union with God to the fullest degree possible to us in this life, we have arrived at the center of ourselves. We talk a lot about journeys in the Christian faith, in all faiths, really. It helps us put our growth in perspective, to see how far we've come. It is a fundamentally human experience. Our lives are each a journey, and we experience journeys within our journey. Everyone has their own individual journey, and we are constantly on a collective journey as a society. History is a recording of a journey from a specific perspective. It is difficult to record the facts of a journey because everything is written by us, and we are each fundamentally biased because of our individual journey and the journeys of those who teach us. In her book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life, author Lynn Twist seeks to help the world reorganize priorities. Even though the book is called The Soul of Money, it's not really about money. It's about what we give value what we prioritize in our lives, and the consequences of what we prioritize. Lynn Twist shares about her experience as an advocate to eradicate world hunger. She has spent time fundraising with the most wealthy and working side by side with the poorest of the poor. The most intriguing part of this book for me resonated so strongly is the pervasiveness of what she calls the lie of scarcity. This is defined as the sense that we never have enough. And it drives us to strive above all and against all for more and more. The opposite of the lie of scarcity is the truth of sufficiency. It is enough. Our experience of who we are what we have, and our full wealth of inner resources are enough. These experiences deepen, expand, and flourish when we trust the truth of sufficiency. We reconnect with our inner resources rather than trying to connect outside resources that were never ours and did not come from us. Imagine being in a place where money had never existed where life's events are determined by forces of nature. Battles and arguments are fought over matters of honor. I honestly have a hard time imagining a society like that. In the world we live in, our focus on money is chronic. We experience fear and anxiety over never having enough. Twist says the harder we try to get it, or even try to ignore it or rise above it, the tighter money's grip on us grows. It has even become the way we measure our competence and worth as people. Think about it. What's the common view of someone that does not have a job? Before you know the reason, even when you know the reason. Jesus is very clear about his answer. Jesus shows us time and time again that money is the root of all evil. In our world today, we have given money more meaning even than human life. 
We consistently make decisions that are harmful in order to make sure the right people are getting the money. Consider Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus confused a lot of people with his talk of money. He pointed to the more important things in life. He was famously critical of those with abundant physical resources and accepting and loving of those with little. The Gospel of Matthew goes on to say, so do not worry about what you shall eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When Paul shares with us in the verse preceding our passage to have confidence in the flesh, he's talking about the superficial things. The resume that got him far, but only so far as to lose it all for Christ. Our need for the things of flesh is reality. We need food. We need water. We need sleep. But above all this, we need the grace and love of Jesus. This is easy to preach and not near as easy to live out. But God did not create you or me to spend a lifetime worrying about the lie of scarcity. God provides and God calls us to live in a world governed by the truth of sufficiency or abundance. Throughout the journey, we must ensure we are placing value where it belongs. Our world places such a heavy weight on money and having enough. We are constantly in a state of fear and questioning whether it will ever be enough. Paul tells us what to do. Paul points to the credentials he has and labels them rubbish. He knows what it is to live with the truth of sufficiency. His whole life has been transformed. What he had once thought made up his whole self are now nothing. As we allow ourselves to be made into God's own, so we become more ourselves. We become more of our true selves. John of the Cross suggested that as we come closer to God, our worries and difficulties will begin to drop away as an intimacy with God's words bear fruit within us, sustaining us in ways that come to replace our own effort to carry us forward with unaccustomed ease. In one of her most well-known prayers, Teresa of Avila encourages us to let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. 
God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Paul encourages us to forget the things of the flesh. We come to righteousness not on our own, but through faith in Christ. And Dory reminds us to just keep swimming. Go for that goal. The direction we point our soul in matters. What are you focusing on that could be causing you pain and fear? Is it possible to reset your soul to focus on your prayer life or your life in Jesus? Paul, Teresa, and Dory know what to do. Keep straining forward, let nothing trouble you, and just keep swimming. God will always be there. Amen.